Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, good morning, Christ Community Church. All righty. A um, couple things also just to remind you of. We do have coming up, uh, Mom's got her evening with Esther for the women. It'll be here. We also have coming up the Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm trying to put together a program for that. If uh, tickets for the Thanksgiving dinner are, are $5, um, and if you are going but don't have the money today, that's okay. We just want to prepare for how many people we are, so go ahead and get your ticket today. Kids five and under are free. Um, and the five bucks is just help to defray costs and all other kind of stuff. We don't really make a profit or anything off of it, but it's just, it'd be nice to come together, both services, Saturday and Sunday, and everybody just come together. Um, let me go ahead and address this, because I wore this shirt last time I preached, and people kept asking, I had 50 people ask, afterwards ask me, what does that shirt say? So just not to be distracting, I wore it again, I'm going to explain it to you. It's from my favorite Christian website, the Babylon Bee which is a Christian satire site. And what the shirt says is, is your cat Satan? And it runs down arguments and arrives at, yes, it is. So that's what it says, that your cat is Satan. And I'm preaching about Satan today, so there we go. Um, the other thing you may notice is I've got a gash. Speaking of little demonic beings, I've got a gash on my cheek because why my wife this week was uh, speaking at a conference in Nashville. I was taking care of her two little babies, and one of them decided that when I was uh, sitting with my laptop doing some work, that she wasn't getting enough attention, and decided to take her oversized paws and her Freddy Krueger claws and rake my face. So because of my wife's birthday puppies, I am now permanently disfigured. Um, uh, anyway, we're going to talk today about angels, Satan, and demons, and I've got a quote there in your bulletin from C.S. Lewis who says, you know, there are two equal and opposite errors that, you know, can happen with people. They can either not believe in angels and demons and Satan, or that's all they want to talk about, and they fixate on it. And so this is important for you to know what the Bible actually has to say about angels and Satan and demons but at the end of the day, you don't need to really worry about it. And I'll tell you why here in a bit. Now, so for example, as I did this last night, um, no shaming here. How many of you have seen The Exorcist? All right, quite a few of you have, have seen it. Um, how many of you remember the TV show Touched by an Angel? Okay, shame on you. <laughs> the first one I'm fine with. The second one we need to talk because that's almost Hallmark level, you know, channel level, and that thing is evil, right? My wife's already cranking up the Hallmark Christmas movies, like, no, please, 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 can we, something else, something else on in the background, like, I don't know, nails on a chalkboard or something other than the Hallmark, they all are the same, folks, they're all the same, they have the same plot. <sighs> Goodness sakes. Anyway, here's what you need to do. We're going to start with, with, angels and what the Bible has to say about angels. And I've got a quote there from Wayne Grudem from his systematic theology. And he says, and this is important to remember, first and foremost, angels have not always existed. 
They have not. They are a part of the universe God created. They are created beings. And, and so you need to understand also that your image of angels probably need to change, especially if you were a fan of that awful TV show. The way the Bible describes angels are not with halos and wings and what was those, what were those little figurines I see all through precious moments or something like that with the little, little angels people would have. Oh, man, I always, when I would see those things in Christian bookstores, I wanted to go all Jesus in the temple and just start just smashing that stuff up. It's so unbiblical. And I know you've heard angel means messenger, and at times, indeed, angels do deliver messages to human beings in the Bible. But that is not their primary role. How many of you read your Bible and see where it says hosts of heaven? Yeah, heavenly host or hosts of heaven. That is a terrible translation. Absolutely awful. And any Hebrew or Greek scholar will tell you when it says hosts, it actually means armies. The army of heaven. Sometimes it'll get that right. And so you see this in Ezra and Nehemiah and all this other kind of things. But these are God's created warriors. That's what they do. They serve God and they fight. That's what they do. Now, here's the other thing that might strike you as strange. Angels have free will. Angels can choose, and in fact, in Satan's case and in his demon's case, did choose to rebel against God. But the Bible is very clear on this in 2 Peter and in Jude. It says angels, if they rebel, if they screw up one time, they get no grace. They are simply kicked away from God forever. Only we get that grace. Do you see now why the New Testament says actually we are higher than angels? Because we screw up all the time. And if we pray and, and repent, we're forgiven. Angels don't get that. In Jude 6, Jude, the brother of Jesus, says, I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of, of the authority of God gave the authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment. And 2 Peter says they get no grace. None. They have one job. That's it. So, why angels are powerful, angels are not something to be revered or worshipped, in fact, the Bible says very clearly, if you remember the end of the book of Revelation, what does the angel tell John? John drops to his knees and starts to worship the angel. And he's like, whoa, 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 bub, don't do that. Don't cost me my one shot here, <laughs> you know. I don't get graded on a curve like you do. Knock that off. You know, you only worship God. The angels worship God. But they exist to serve God by serving us. And that's what angels are. Now, it might also uh, interest you to know that angels are not magical beings. And they're not godlike beings. They're eternal beings, as all created beings 
are. You either have an eternity with God or without. I mean, we're all actually eternal. We will shuffle off this moral, mortal coil, but we will live forever from one place to the other. And then angels have the same thing. They are not godlike. They are bound by time. They are not above time, beyond time. If you need proof of that, just go to Acts 12. Do you remember when Peter's in prison in Acts 12? And he's locked up. And the angel shows up and frees Peter. And Peter apparently makes the mistake of going, oh, praise God, I'm saved. And what does the angel say? Shut up and hurry up. We got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, Peter's like, oh, you're going to take me away? He said, no, we're going to walk. Go and walk quickly. They are bound by time. And according to the Bible, and this is one of the oddest things, you cannot see an angel unless God grants you that ability. You can't. I see people all the time, oh, I saw this, and I'm sure it was angelic or whatever, and they put together some Facebook meme. I don't think so. Because this is not how this works. If you remember back in Numbers, poor Balaam, the pagan prophet. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture, by the way. Do you remember the story of Balaam on his donkey? I love that story. Because first of all, it took me a while to get used to this. As a new Christian, reading my Bible, it's like, okay, I got the talking snake, and now we're in Nehemiah, and we get a talking donkey. And it's like, you know, when When's Snow White going to show up? You know, that was the first time I read the Bible. This is weird. But the weirder than that is, the donkey starts to argue with Balaam. Balaam argues back and loses the argument. And the donkey's like, look. And he's like, look at what? He goes, look ahead, dummy. And what does he see? An angel. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Numbers 22, 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Pacifists, take note. And Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. I know there are people walking around all the time. Oh, I see this, I see that, I see all these, you know, angels come to me. And like, well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. And look, I've had some weird experiences too. But I'm always like, until God confirms it with me, I don't know how much of that was spiritual and how much of that was a mixture of sleep apnea and too much coffee. I don't know. I don't know. Invisible, unkillable, Warriors of God. And not just a few of them. And apparently they are ranked. Now, you can get into all kinds of Jewish literature and even some Catholic literature that tries to go and have this huge order of angels. But within the Bible, all it tells us is there are angels and there are archangels, the bosses. Only three angels in the entire Bible are named one is Satan, one is Gabriel, and the third one is the archangel Michael. We see him pop up in Daniel and then again in Jude and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so he's, Michael's always around. What is the difference between an angel and an archangel? I have no idea. 
Because the Bible doesn't say. It just doesn't tell me. I, I don't know. Is Michael bigger, stronger, faster? I don't know. I have no idea. But there is such a thing as an archangel. And if you start reading through the Bible and when angels show up, and you can do a thing like go to BibleGateway.com and just type in angel or angels, and it will give you all the verses in the Bible where they show up. And sometimes when they show up, it's... I mean, God opens one guy's eyes, and he looks up, and what does he see? He does not see 10 angels, 50 angels. He can't even count them. And they're in chariots, and they have swords. But let me reiterate this, because I'll come back to this in a second, because I know what some of you are thinking. What about guardian angels? We'll get there. Get there in a second. Do you understand that even though angels are here to fight for us, they serve God and God alone and do his will and his will alone. For example, Joshua 5, 13 through 14. That's what Joshua writes. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with the sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. What's he telling him? I'm not here for you, bub. I have one boss. I do whatever he says. That's the way it is. And what about guardian angels? I've heard this. I've heard good, mature, Christian people talk about their guardian angel. Look, God can do as he pleases with his army. And angels are always around us. But nowhere in Scripture, nowhere does it say that an angel is assigned to a particular human being. It's not there. It might be true, but Scripture doesn't say it, and so therefore you're speculating. You're just speculating. And... You know, when I speculate, I'll just tell you. I said, look, this isn't biblical. This is just what I believe, and I'll lay out the reasons for it, and you decide on your own. But you shouldn't walk around and be dogmatic or doctrineer about something that just isn't in the Bible. It may make you feel good, but I always tell people this when they're like, no, no, Pastor Matt, I know, I know, I have a guardian angel, and I can tell you that this happened and that happened and all this other kind of stuff. And what I want to tell them, and I always have to watch it, because, you know, snarkiness is my spiritual gift. So I always have to hold back a little bit without this, but what I really want to say to them is this. Why do you need a guardian angel if you have the Holy Spirit and God sees everything you do anyway? You see what I mean? You're elevating angels. Don't do that. You don't revere angels. You don't worship angels. You worship their commander. It's important. Keep in mind. But I know what you're all waiting for. And I, but before I go on, I, before we start talking about Satan and demons, I, I, I think it is really cool 
But you can look in places in the Psalms and stuff like that, and the Bible does say that you know, the, the army of the Lord is here to do the Lord's will, and that will is often helping us. Now, I know it's like if I'm doing the Lord's will, it is cool to think that I've got an invisible, unkillable army that's got my back. That is pretty cool. But ultimately, you just go to the Lord. All right. That's 15 minutes of angels. I know what you want. 30 minutes of Satan and demons. So here we go, you sickos. Um, I know. I get it. What about Satan and his demons and demon possession or demon oppression and all that other kind of stuff? Now, like I said, I've seen The Exorcist. In fact, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Unlike Beetlejuice, I don't think it's funnier every time you watch it, but it is, it's a very well-made movie. And it, even though it was made by pagans, it was written by a committed Catholic. The guy who wrote The Exorcist is actually based on a novel. When William Peter Blatty, who was a committed Catholic, he passed away several years ago. William Peter Blatty was a writer in Hollywood. And one of the things he found disturbing was, at that time in the 1960s in Hollywood, Every other Christian he met seemed to treat their church membership like a country club membership. It's just another place I go. It didn't seem to have a big impact on their lives. And Blatty had remembered a story one of his priests told him when he was attending Georgetown University about an exorcism that had happened right up the road. And he remembered that story. And so he sat down with a typewriter and when he wrote the novel and then later the screenplay for The Exorcist, he actually said, I want to write a sermon you can't fall asleep during. I think he accomplished that if you've seen the movie. And for a while there, I mean, I was, I was wee little. I was only one years old when The Exorcist came out. But I've watched documentaries. about. I mean, people were lined up down the block to see it. People were fainting. You know, one guy claimed to have a heart attack watching it, all this other kind of stuff. And, but it, the one good thing it did was it kind of woke people up that there is this thing called the demonic in our world. And you have to recognize that. Now, I'll get to demon possession in a minute and why I think that you need to watch if you have a fascination with that. Uh, which, by the way, just to tell you the full story, if you don't know, um, in the true story, by the way, the um, kid in The Exorcist who is possessed, in the true story was a little boy, not a little girl. That's one. Two, it is true that the little boy was fooling around with, how many remember these, Ouija boards. He'd had an aunt that had passed away. His aunt was like 50% Catholic, 50% pagan and said, when I go to heaven, take this Ouija board, and you will talk that way. So he started playing with it. Even when I was an atheist pagan, Ouija boards freaked me out. Would not get anywhere near them. 
And I had one experience, I'll give you one experience. I've only had two experiences with something that I would be willing to bet was in fact demonic. One was when I was, when I was a very little kid, it was a, uh, a daughter of a family here at church that dad had to deal with. But back in like, say, 87, yeah, I think it was 1987, it was before I took off for L.A. And my, a buddy of mine uh, had just started dating this girl. And he was a year older than me. He drove. I didn't. He's like, I'm going to go see my girlfriend. His cousin's in from out of, her cousin's in from out of town. She's a cheerleader. Do you want to go? And being 15 years old and having those kind of hormones, I was like, yes. Cheerleader from out of town. Win, win. But they didn't know I was coming. I, I get in his car. We just take over. They didn't know he was coming. He was just dropping by. And so we pull up to their house, and we walk inside, and I was stopped in my tracks because the two girls were playing with a Ouija board. And I was like, <laughs> I'll just be on the porch. Um, and so they were playing with it, and my buddy goes, this is Matt. And they're like, hi, Matt. And they were playing with the Ouija board. They go, do you want to talk to Matt? And it went, no. So they go, are you afraid of Matt? No. They don't know who I am. I said, what are you afraid of? It's spelled out D-A-D. Freaky, Right? Yeah, stay away from Ouija boards. That's the moral of that story. <laughs> Just stay away from Ouija boards. Um, but let's go back to this. Now, the, the little boy, actually, the exorcism lasted for a long time. It actually took place in two different cities when the priests in Georgetown uh, couldn't take care of it. They, they put him on a train and, and shipped the little boy to St. Louis where a cardinal performed an exorcism and all that other kind of stuff. That little boy is still alive, and he refuses to talk about it. People have tried. Every time there's an, like an anniversary of the exorcist, like, you know, back 20 years ago or so, they, they put it back in theaters with new footage and all that other kind of stuff. And so some newspaper reporter always calls, finds out who that boy was. He's obviously an older man now, and calls, and he always says the same thing. Click. Does not, will not talk about it for whatever reason. Do I believe that demonic possession is real? Yes, I do. Like I said, I've only possibly seen one case in my life, and I was wee little, and I really didn't understand what was going on. It was only years later that my brothers kind of explained it to me, what I had seen, what I had witnessed. And she had been, and this girl had been messing around with Ouija boards, witchcraft, all that kind of stuff. Stay away from that stuff. The stories I have heard uh, Dad doesn't like to talk about it, but he did tell me once that he remembered going over to their house to check on things, and the girl was, in a way that he could not explain, slithering like a snake on the garage floor. I mean, weird, weird stuff. Dad did not perform an exorcism. All Dad did was pray, which is because that's what Scripture tells us to do. Because, again, you don't take it into your own hands if you can go to the Lord. That doesn't make any sense. You don't have power over demons. And it's not, 
you know, you can't just whisper some kind of, chant some kind of thing over a demon and have it go running and all this other kind of stuff. You can't do that. Why not go to the one who looks at demons and they're frightened of him? Have you read your Bible? Demons are terrified of Jesus. I mean terrified. What do they do when Jesus walks up to a demon? They beg him for mercy. Don't toss us into the pit yet. Please, please, please. So if you happen to encounter that, you go to God. You don't go grab some book. You don't they had, look, there were all these people running around at the time of Jesus claiming to be professional exorcists. And, and they were, it was all, it was really weird to read this stuff. It's comical. And the fact that people would let them do what they did. Like one of the ways these professional exorcists would deal with demons is to take a stick like a little kid stick it in like dog poo and then shove it up the possessed person's nose like demons are going well I you know I'm a demon but I don't want to smell it doesn't make any sense you know all this kind of nonsense that they would do Jesus would walk up and go out gone. So if you encounter a demonic, what do you do? You go to that guy. Mark says, you know, there are variations of the verse in Mark that says you should fast and pray. That's it. Because I'm telling you right now, because Ouija boards freak me out, because I've had those experiences that I don't really want to have again, you call me up. Just so you know what my answer will be. I've got a friend or I've got a family member and I think they're being demonically possessed. Will you come see them? My answer would be <laughs> no. Nope. Uh-uh. But you and I will fast and pray for them. And let's let Jesus deal with this. Does that make sense? It's what the Bible says to do. But I tell all that just to make sure you don't fall asleep. Because we've got to go back and talk about who Satan is in the first place. The Bible doesn't actually tell us a whole lot about Satan. He really doesn't. We know that he was an angel. We know that he rebelled against God. And if you're an angel and rebel against God, you don't get a second chance. He and his horde got kicked out of heaven and had to wander the earth. And he wasn't happy about it. When did this happen? We don't really know. We know it happened sometime after Genesis 1.31. Because why? God has created the heavens and the earth. And what does he say? God looked over what he had made and saw that it was very good. He's not going to call something good that's got demon critters running around in it. So it happened after that and sometime before he tempted Adam and Eve. How long is that? No idea. Absolutely no idea. The Bible doesn't really tell us. I don't know. There does appear to be passages in Isaiah that are a little cryptic, but they, they do basically tend to say, if it's talking about Satan, and there's some debate there, if it's talking about Satan, Satan fell primarily because his vanity, his ego, 
Some Jewish writer speculated that when God created Adam and Eve, it, grow, it just drove Satan crazy that God would create these beings that, he, that could get forgiveness and that could walk with him in the Garden of Eden. He didn't like it. Because it says that he believed he was the most beautiful of all the angels. Satan was one of those kind of guys. I'll tell you a story. When I was in Hollywood, back when I was a pagan, um, and I had a fake ID, do, do not do as I do, youth group, do as I say. That was bad. But I was pagan. And I was in this club, and I went in to use the restroom, and two guys come out of two different stalls at roughly the same time. One guy, who I didn't know who it was, but was clearly drunk. The other guy was a famous actor that I won't tell you who it was, but it's something like Sylvester Stallone, something like that. But anyway, and this was that time back in the 80s when Stallone had like the feathered hair and the fake glasses and, and the Armani suits and all that other kind of stuff. And he had just traded in wife number two or something like that. And he walks up to the bathroom mirror and spends like five minutes doing this. The drunk guy is looking at this, and then he's looking at me, and he's getting a smile on his face, and I thought, oh, no. And then he looks over at Stallone, and then he looks over at me, and then he says, dude, nice hair. And Stallone, without any sarcasm, goes, yeah. Destroyed Rambo for me, by the way. Rambo wouldn't care about his hair. That's the kind of guy, apparently, kind of angel Satan was. Incredibly vain, and he knew the score. See, the Bible says that all of us are different. We have something that nothing else in the universe has. The Hebrew term is nefesh kaya. We were made nefesh kaya. Nothing else has that in the image and likeness of God. We have that. Angels don't have that. The little demon puppy who disfigured me doesn't have that. Plants don't have that. Only human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And do you know what one of the, one of the variations that means? Do you know what that means? If you look through Scripture, if you do a scriptural study, do you want to see where else we use this term image and likeness? When Adam and Eve have their third kid, the Bible says he was in the image and likeness of Adam. In other words, a child. Satan was vain in all likelihood. And he looked down at us and he said, what right do they get to be God's children? We are unkillable, invisible soldiers. And look at them. God said, tough. Satan rebelled. He got out of heaven for it. And now he roams the earth. And he roams to lie, 
to kill and to destroy. He knows he's already lost. He knows. He's just going to try to do as much damage out of spite as he can before Jesus returns. And you need to understand something. I never understood Satan worship. Even at the height of my paganism, where I had the Motley Crue shirt and all that kind of stuff, I never understood Satanism. Why would you worship Satan? That doesn't make any sense. It's based, I think, on a complete misunderstanding of Scripture. It's very clear, one, number one, Satan was already defeated. Two, Satan is not God's equal. Satan does not have nearly as much power as God does. At the end of times, Revelation says basically some of the angels just pick Satan up and go, see ya, and toss him into hell. Which, by the way, that's another thing. Too many cartoons and stuff like that, you know, and everything from the far side to South Park, which is a filthy show you shouldn't watch. And so all that kind of stuff, all these shows, what do they show? Satan walking around hell like, yep, this is my place. Is that what the Bible says? Nope. Satan is not in hell. He's not. And then next week, I'll go a little bit beyond this when we talk about death and the afterlife, but Satan is here. The demons are here. They're not in hell. And if you watch, when they are begging Jesus, what are they begging him not to do? Don't put us where? Hell. They don't want to go there. They know it's their place of eternal torment. They don't want to go there. So get that out of your mind. Satan is not strutting around hell. He is slithering around here. And he has no power unless God allows it. Have you read the book of Job? I know it's a long book. It's largely written in Hebrew poetry. If you don't know the book, you should take some time to read it. Satan, at beginning with, goes to heaven and reports to God. And God says to Satan, you notice my servant Job? He's a good dude. Nobody else like him right now on earth. Worships me and me only. And Satan says, well, that's because you've been so good to him. God says, okay, have at it. But, and he tells Satan, you cannot kill him. And Satan's like, okay, okay, okay. Now, we kind of gloss over that, but did you catch the power dynamic there? Satan cannot, if God says, Satan, you ain't doing that. Satan says, okay. They are not equal. So then he goes, and he goes after, he kills all Job's family, except his wife, who is the one person, because she comes in and starts nagging. She, she walks in when he's sick, laying there, just, just riddled with boils and sores and, and all this pain. And his loving wife comes in and goes, ah, just curse God and die. 
Would have loved like that. And his friends are sitting there going, oh, you must have done something bad. You must have, Job, you really screwed up for all this to come upon you. And he's like, I don't know what I did. But Job does say something interesting. He says, yeah, I want to, I wish I could talk to God about this. And lo and behold, God shows up. He says, okay, Job, let's have a conversation. And Job starts to say, well, Lord, and God goes, Job, shut up for a second. Job, I know you're wondering why all these bad things happen to you. Um, Here's how we're going to start this conversation off. Uh, Before we get going, Job, uh, can you create a mountain real quick? Just throw one up. Job's like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." oh, okay, is that too big for you? You know the eagles up there? Hear them squawking at each other? You know what they're saying? Can you interpret that for me? He's like, uh, uh, uh. Uh, and God goes on for like two chapters. It's like, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And Job's like, uh, uh, no. And God says, okay, I wear the daddy pants. Shut up. You take what I give you. Job goes, okay. Now God does then what? He does give Job a long life and a new family and, and all that kind of stuff. But the interesting thing about the book of Job is this. Job never finds out about the conversation between God and Satan that led to all of it. He doesn't know that. Nowhere in the book does God say, okay, Job, let me, Satan and I had this little bet. That's why this all came along. No, nope, 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 nope. And we don't know who wrote the book of Job, by the way. And I had a professor when I was in seminary tell me this. And I thought it was a good point. He was actually preaching at chapel. And he said, Job never knows that Satan was involved in all of this tragedy. He only deals with God. And the point of the book of Job is, so should we. You can't see where the demons are. You can't see where Satan's at. You don't know. You don't have to. You just deal with God. Don't worry about the middlemen. Just deal with your Lord. That's all you have to do. That's all. Now, I could go on and on, but I'm going to wrap up here in a minute. Because there's lots of stuff here. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of silly ideas out there about demons and all this other kind of stuff. I like to tell people, I don't like to talk about demonic possession, for example, as much as I like to talk about demonic influence. To me, it's just different levels of demonic influence. But here's something that even a horror movie that came out this year said, the title was, The Devil Made Me Do It. The devil does not make you do it. But the devil is very good at whispering in your ear a couple things. But the Bible was very clear, temptation comes from within yourself. It's what's already there. Satan doesn't bring it to the table, but he is crafty enough to see 
what you're easily tempted by. There is absolutely angels, demons, Satan, they cannot read your mind. They cannot foresee the future. Now, they are stuck in time. Now, I hear this all the time, though. Here's the one, because I'm just trying to anticipate as many questions as I, as I can. One of the questions I get is this, well, then explain fortune tellers. I said, that's easy. Which, by the way, don't go to them either. The Bible is very clear. Why would you not go to a fortune teller? Because the Bible says you're supposed to trust God with the future. So how can demons, you know, they'll come in, you got this. Now, some of them are just tricksters who are very good at this. But, um, and Houdini, Harry Houdini, before he died, like debunked a lot of it. But you will, I have had stories and I've had conversations with people and they go in to have their palm read or tarot cards and all, all, all kinds of stuff I don't mess with and all that kind of stuff. And they'll say, oh, well, did this happen to you or did this? Yes, yeah, yeah that happened. Nobody knew about that. The demons did Angels and demons, you can't see them, but they can see you. Don't mess with that stuff. They're trying to, that, call that kind of stuff. I don't care if it's your horoscope or tarot cards or any of that kind of stuff. All that stuff shows a mistrust, a distrust of the future God has in store for you. Just trust the Lord. Just trust the Lord. One other thing, and I'll save what will get the most pushback for last, and then I'll run off stage. The Bible is also very clear. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.20, I am saying that these, he's talking about other religions. This is Paul writing to Corinthians, and he's talking about other religions. These sacrifices are offered to demons, not God's. And I don't want you to participate with demons. What is he saying? He's saying that those who worship any other god are actually worshiping demons. Because the number one thing Satan and his demons try to do is to keep you away from the gospel, keep you from sharing the gospel, keep you from knowing, understanding the gospel, and being saved. That's what they want more than anything else. And so you got to know that if you, you go after people, you go after people who are unchurched, you go after people who are actually in other religions, and you need to be careful about that. I tell people, it's like I, even people who've had a little bit of an apologetic training, I say, look, if you go down to the Jehovah's Witnesses temple to try to witness to them, you're going to become one because they're a lot better at it than you are. They train them well. But all that being said, you're going to get demonic pushback. And when you do, like Job, don't go run into a lucky charm. Don't just grab your crucifix as if it's, it's some kind of magic in it. You just go to the Lord, and you pray. That's what you do. Let God take care of it. 
One of the most amazing things that will happen at the end of days, which I'll talk more about next week. We had to switch around the preaching schedule a little bit. Is that there would come a day when all of us, all of us, will stand before God and we will watch the final judgment. Now, those who've already died in the Lord, you don't have, you've got nothing to worry about. You're not being judged. You've made it to heaven. You've already been judged. Christ judged for you. Praise God. Don't worry about it. To me, what will probably be the most mind-numbing thing I will see is it says that Jesus orders Satan and his demons to be tossed in hell. Just like If the demons are afraid of Jesus, why are you afraid of the demons if Jesus is your Lord? Why are you afraid if God could smash Satan and his demons? Why are you afraid when the almost the all-powerful individual who created the entire universe with his breath calls you his children? His beloved children. All you need to do is go to the Lord. I'll keep watching The Exorcist every couple years. I will. I'll watch movies about this stuff and documentaries about this stuff and all other kind of stuff. But if anything ever comes into your life that you feel is demonic, just pray to your Lord. Fair enough? Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made us in your, in your image and likeness, that we are your beloved children. May we think like it and act like it. May we not fear Satan and his demons, but may we not be foolish enough to think we can take them on. May we not look to guardian angels or superstition anything outside of your scripture. May we never, ever distrust the future you have for us. May we just trust in you and know that you have the future. A perfect eternity awaits everyone who comes to faith in your son. And may we place our trust in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. God goes with you. We're praying for you. And I'm really going to be, well, I won't be praying for the Bengals, but let's face it. All right. Have a great week. See you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.